We sang that one phrase in there about white as snow. <laughs> I don't know, sometime during the middle of the night, I'm going out to feed some baby lambs that um, I became the mother of. And, and I, was, uh, I was just taken back. Everything I looked at was white. And it wasn't only white, it was white. I mean, you don't get much whiter than snow. Although I think there's one place in the Word that says that our sins will be washed away and we will be whiter than snow. But that's pretty white, and, and, uh, and, and it's a beautiful white. Well, tonight, huh, I've struggled with uh, where we're going to go, but um, I've got to go back to a, a place where it's, it's, uh, it keeps drawing me back. Recently, I, I was reading through... Uh, the book of Job. So let's go to book. Let's go to the book of Job. As I'm reading through this, I'm thinking, Father, what is it in this that you want us to know about? What 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 in here am I missing? Because um, I there's 42 chapters. Very few books have that many chapters. So it's got to be important to God. So if it's important to him, it's got to be important to me. And I'm always amazed at the, the way the whole thing starts. So let's go to chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man. So if you will, this is not a parable. This, this, this is a man. In the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God, and he shunned evil. How many people do you know you could say that about? <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a pretty high praise for that man. And this may have been man's opinion. I'm not sure. But just in case we don't get lost in it, let's go over to verse 8. As you know, Satan walks in in this time and... He's speaking with God. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? And, there, and, and then, he, then he makes a statement that we all know to be true. There is none like him on earth, a blameless, an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So it's not only a man's opinion as it appears in verse 1, but it's also in verse 8, it's, it's God's opinion. And as, you, as I'm sure those who are here tonight are familiar, it's soon after that that God asked Satan, have you considered him? And, and uh, basically, he turned Satan loose on him. So here was this blameless, upright man turned over to Satan to be, be tried. And he wasn't turned over to Satan to be tried because he was unrighteous. It was because of his righteousness that he was turned over to Satan. And I find that to be, um, it's not what I grew up with, okay? It was like, when you see somebody blessed, you know they're holy, right? And when you see somebody that's having a rough time, you know what? They got sin, there's something going on here, it's not right. And that's it. God has a way of taking those misgivings we have and just blowing them wide open. And, and to me, that's what he's doing here. I, I read a commentary as I was trying to get my head around this, and the commentary said this trial was established, and it was established to establish his righteousness. You get that? to establish his righteousness, as well as to give him deeper insight into his relationship with God and a greater understanding of his own nature. And I sat back and I said, now, is that biblical? Some of you are shaking your head yes, and some of you are like, wow, let me read that again. The trial was established to establish his righteousness as well as to give him deeper insight into his relationship with God 
and a greater understanding of his own nature. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I have this desire that when, when I'm looking at the Word of God and, and looking at how it affects my life, you know, I, I want it to be, my understanding to be pretty clear, and I like for it to be pretty concise. I like for it to be where I can wrap my head around it, and, you know, I, I want the explanation to be pretty straight and to the point. Uh, this ambiguity doesn't do well with me. And, and, you know, if I'm going to walk this narrow, straight path that the Word talks about, I want to know when I'm on that path and when I'm not. And so, if you will, I want to know, how can I know God's purpose in, in, in what we're, we have here in these chapters? And, uh, and, and I'm trying to make it, to me, clear and concise so I can walk out in this and, and walk it out the way God wants it done. So, I, I want to just open up with a few things that's in, in the first chapters. How did this upright, blameless man respond to his trial? Now, if we go over to chapter 2, and, you know, as we, as we look at that in... Um, Two nine. Sorry, girls, but his dear loving wife. <laughs> now, as you know him, he 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 has boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. He's on an ash heap. He has pieces of pottery scraping the worms. He says later off. If you haven't got that figured out, probably the maggots were drawn to that place. I don't know if you've ever had a boil. I'm, I remember back, I, we were pretty newly married, and I'm not sure why, but I got a boil on the back of my neck, and I thought I couldn't move my head, and I had one. And he's got them from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. This man's in pain. I think we've all been in pain. And... You know, as you, as you look at that, his wife said, do you still hold fast to your integrity? And like I say, um, I'm, I'm not sure what her purpose was, but she said, well, curse God and die. What was his response? Verse 10. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? He's not going to curse God. And then, <laughs> just so that the enemy would make sure that he had everything he needed, he sent three friends over. Remember those guys? And now, I'm pretty sure as you, as you look at them and, and, and they're coming, they had a desire to, to be there in his grief and, and hopefully to help ease his pain. And they were there with him seven days and didn't say anything. I don't know if I kept my mouth shut that long or not. I don't think. But seven days they were there. And in the midst of that, it says they came to mourn with him and to comfort him. And then I got to go back to two, four, and five because... You remember, first of all, Satan took away nearly all of his possessions. And in the process of that, Job didn't curse God, did he? And, and Satan basically says, well, no wonder. You know, he, 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 you've given him all, and he, and, but if you lay your hands on his him, he says, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. How did Job respond to that? He opened his mouth, and we go Job 3.1. He opened his mouth, and he cursed. But what did he curse? Not God. The day of his birth. Have you ever hurt so bad that you wish you could die? That's where the man is. I, I've had different ones say, you know, 
This pain is so bad, it would be like a pain in a foot or a back or something. It's so bad that I just want to go to heaven. I want to get this over with. I want to, I want to get out of here. This man's got boils over his whole body. That same commentary that I read to you a moment ago goes on and says, while Satan's goal was to prove Job to be a sinner, God's goal was to do what? It was to establish forever the sincerity of his faith. God does not allow trials to see if we'll fail. He allows trials to strengthen our faith. <laughs> and have you want your faith straightened? strengthened tonight so a trial is a fact it's a statement of God's faith this is commentary yet the trial is in fact a statement of God's faith and our faithfulness and integrity now let's say God who spoke everything into being looks at each one of us as a Christian and he says what they can make it. We sang a song, remember? Right, we can make it. Well, that's what, he's, that's what God's saying. He's saying he has faith in us that we will make it through the trial because we have faith and trust in him. Now, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I was thinking about this today. We've had a chorus around our house last night and today because... I've, <clears throat> during the winter, we've had a number of lambs, and Mom's been with that lamb, and I go out to feed him, and she's laying right there with the lamb. But it's been long enough that the last week and a half or so, I've been trying to shut off the milk supply by giving poor quality feed, less water, some of those kind of things. Because if you don't, when the time comes and you take them off the babies, off the mamas, you end up with mastitis and a whole bunch of issues, which... Doesn't matter a whole lot, but <laughs> it matters to a shepherd. And these girls are explaining to me when I go out there that I've taken them from their baby and they can't get back through that gate. And they explain it very, very, very loudly. Now, it's so loud sometimes, you know what I like to do? I like to open the gate. But as soon as I do that, what have I done? I've opened up for trouble, haven't I, for them. Have you ever tried to explain to a mama, and particularly a mama sheep, a you, that what you're doing is for her benefit? She doesn't believe it. Now, the babies don't either, but I can assure you, <laughs> of those that I turned out, there's only about four or five who would really like to be back in that barn with the mama, and the rest of them are really, really happy that there's no more tugging going on. And so they could care less. You know, they're doing their thing. And as I was thinking about that, you know, I think God does some things like that to us. That there's things that happen in our life that, that we think are a trial, but they're for our benefit. They're for us. And as, as we look at that, you know, and, and God's trusting our faith in us, and the, I, we were talk, I was talking with a, a fellow, and he said, well, I'm not sure I have enough faith for that. Well, what's the answer to that? Faith comes by hearing and hearing God's word. Now, if we're going to believe the promise of salvation, we're going to believe that too, right? And, and there comes a time where we, we, we need to, to realize that, that we may be to a point where it's, it is faith, but we can, that faith can be built in us. As the pastor has mentioned many times, all we need is a faith There's a grain of mustard seed. And that doesn't look like much. But our faith is in a much, much bigger God. And so that being the case, if we need to increase our faith or we need to build faith in others, we better be looking to and quoting the Word of God. And I think sometimes, I was thinking, you know, um, particularly of a person who is in a kind of the middle of a trial, 
And I think a lot of times we get in the middle of those things and people see us in that trial and what they're doing is watching us and see how we're going to react to it. And I want to go, as I was studying for this, and I've read this before, but I never saw it in this light. Let's go to Colossians, Colossians 2. So we're talking about a bigger picture than Job tonight. We're talking about how does this apply to us? How, how, how does God's word, uh, and particularly this book of Job, apply to us? And I want to go to verse 11. So Paul's talking to Jews, so let's get through a little bit of that about the circumcision and so on. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And if you're a Christian, you've had that circumcision, right? By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. We're buried with him in baptism, in which we also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your faith, he has made alive together with him, having given, forgiven you all trespasses. Do we need to emphasize that all? I'm, I'm always amazed at how we will allow God to forgive us for most of them, but there's a few of them we hold on to because we know they're too big for God to take care of. Don't do it. There's nothing too hard for him to do. And particularly now I want to look at 14 and 15. He is having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Now, you know, that's talking about a, a lawyer situation. And if you've ever been in the, a courtroom, when they have in writing accusations against you, they're against you. Okay? But it says that on the cross, he wiped out. Some say blotted out. He wiped out the requirements that was against us which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out, out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So, so the cross is not only for salvation, but you know, he's taken all of, of those requirements. Remember the Ten Commandments and all, all the things that they'd made into, I forget, 200 and some requirements? That's all been taken care of. Matter of fact, the song, two songs tonight said he paid how much of it? Hate it all. But verse 15, I think, is you know, critical as we think about Job and as we think about our life and us walking, walking through this life. And I, again, I, I appreciate the band tonight and, and their selection because it said we're walking through this life into eternity. All right? That's the goal, right? We're, we're headed to eternity, but our goal is headed to God's eternity in heaven. He has disarmed. Now, when you take away the ammunition and the arms of someone, they have no way, right, of fighting back with that instrument, all right? Having disarmed principalities and powers. So on the cross, as he has been nailed there, and we're feeling real sorry for what went on, he's doing what? It says he made a spectacle, a public spectacle of them. So he, he looked Satan right in the eye and said what? I'm nailing all this to the cross. It's going to be done right up here where everybody can see it. And, and it's, I'm taking away all of the power that you have, all the authority you have. It says he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, it being, you know, dying there on the cross. So as you think about that, he made that public spectacle. Think back to Genesis, where he come as a creep, creeping into the garden, and he took away our authority there, didn't he? 
He, Satan took our authority that God had given us just prior to that because Adam and Eve went into remission somehow or other and, and allowed him to, to convince them that they weren't going to die if, if, in fact, they took that fruit. And we know that physically they didn't die, but spiritually they did. So at that point, we lost that authority he gave us. But on the cross, publicly, public spectacle, God gave it back to us. And, well, I, I really can't think about this warfare we're in and the, and the warfare that Job and Satan were in without going to Ephesians 6. There's a couple things I want to point out there in Ephesians 6. Very, I, I realize these are scriptures that, you know, we're, we're very familiar with, but um, I need a reminder, and I, I, I trust it will be valuable to you also. Let's start at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Faith comes by what? Hearing, all right? Somebody needs this tonight. I'm not sure why, because I thought that this is, we've been here before, Lord, but I think somebody needs this. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That don't mean you have to go work out every day in the gym to get strong. That means you need to work out in the word. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the trickery of the devil. He's a creep. He has no authority. He's been stripped of that at the cross. And he gives us the impression what? He has all authority over us. We can do nothing. Hogwash. That's not true. That's a lie. And, and he continues to lie to us. And the worst part is he appeals to our mind. And what do we do? We give up. We, we let him do it. Put on the whole armor of God. Stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And if we're not careful, we get into a tough situation, into a trial. And who do we take it out on? Whoever's close. In a marriage, husband and wife, right? Because you know that she'll love you anyway. <laughs> Even though you're tough on her. So what do we do? We don't wrestle against principalities, do we? We wrestle against who? Those that are close to us. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age. Does that sound a little familiar? That sounds like what he put up on the cross, doesn't it? It's already been done against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then he starts telling us something about how to do that. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. God expected Job to do what? He expected him to stand. He expected him to make it through this trial. And, and yeah, it was for Job's sake. But I want to tell you, at that point, the cross hadn't occurred. At that point, Satan still hadn't been defeated. And he did have power. Not the case anymore. Verse 14, in case you didn't understand the first stands, he said, Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and each one of those is a teaching point, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, above all, above all, take what? The shield of faith, which comes by hearing. And hearing the word, take the shield of faith with which you can be able to quench the fiery darts of the, evil, of the wicked one. I had a, um, a friend sent me a, a paper the other day talking about that shield. And he, and he was, uh, um, I know the pastors talked about this, but he, he's saying that 
that shield was like a door. Actually, if you look at that word shield, it's the same word that they use for door. And it's as big as a door, and it's in front of you. And if you keep it where it needs to be, anything the enemy sends at you, it'll quench him. Think about that. So what do we do? High devil, and wham, he takes on, doesn't he? Anything we do to allow him to get in. And he was talking about how they had made their shields back then, and that shield was made out of leather. And I'm sorry, it's kind of crude, but I got to thinking about that. Uh, when my grandpa passed away, my mom, who um, saved everything, even the cow's moo at home, and, and <laughs> she thought I needed grandpa's belt, okay? Well, at that point, I really didn't need a belt, you know? So I took that thing, and being who did it and whose it was, I kept it. But when I got it out to use it, it was all cracked. It was, it was good, thick leather, but it was all cracked. It was, it, matter of fact, if I would have used it, it would, it would probably torn. Because it, it hadn't had any care since he had died. And it had been stored. Now, when you think about that, <laughs> if we're going to have that shield of faith, and it's made of leather, faith comes how? By hearing, if we're going to keep it nice and supple so it will quench the fiery darts, you better daily make sure that you're shining it. And what they did, according to this article, was that every morning, the first thing they had to do before they went out to battle was take some oil, had a spatial oil, and they took it and they wiped that oil on that leather. And I thought, boy, you know, I, I, I thought it, <laughs> I got a belt up in Amish country because they know how to make leather. I don't know if you've ever gone to some of the stores here, but you buy a leather belt, and the leather's about that thick on the outside, right? And no time at all, it's starting to crack and it's gone. But up there, they know how to make leather belts. Anyway, I was thinking about that when he, was I read down that article, he says that there were six layers. One, two, three, four, five, six layers all woven together. And if they, if they did what they needed to do, there was no way that fiery dart could get through there. No way. If we do what we need to do, our shield of faith, there's no way the enemy can get through that. You see that? There's no way that it can get through there. And then, as, as you think about that, verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. In case you didn't get it the first time, dealing with faith, he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is? The Word of God. Somehow, in this process, the Word of God's pretty important, isn't it? And we better be spending time there. <laughs> and I remember a situation not long ago where we were talking to someone, and no, they quit reading it because it wasn't doing what they wanted it to. Oh, really? Well, that didn't open the door, did it? <laughs> they didn't have any faith, they didn't have any face shield at all. And Satan was just knocking them around. We're amazing people, aren't we? And then he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So as I was thinking of that, um, think about that armor that you, that you have on there. What is its purpose? Is its purpose to keep us in an offensive mode, or is its purpose to keep us in an offensive mode? Now, there's a scripture that says that the gates of hell, what? They can't prevail. Now, if we just stand there and watch them, 
They will, right? If we attack those gates, they can't prevail against us. And, and so, you know, as, as I think about that, I, here, here we are, again, having all of this understanding and all this word, and, and yet when, when we get into a trial, somehow or other, Satan starts working up here, and faith is where? Down here. And we miss it, about 18 inches of it. We miss it all. And, and, and he's real good at making sure that, that we do miss it. And I think he put that prayer in there at last because that's where we engage in battle. That's where we do it. That's where, that's where we remind Satan of who he is. That's where we remind ourselves of who we are and what God's done for us. And so in doing that, if you will, I'd like to suggest, if you're, if you're praying for me, I want you to pray in faith. And if you're going to pray in faith for me, you better be praying the Word. Right? Because the Word is where the faith is. And, and you know, if, if we're not careful, we'll become Job's friends, and, and we'll be there sympathizing, criticizing... <laughs> when we need to be building their faith. Now, how did Job respond to all this? Let's go back to that poor man back there that we left with the boils out on the ash heap. And I don't really know how to do this, but if you just listen, let, let me just pinpoint some things that I... After I read that, I thought, okay, how, how did Job do this? If you go to chapters... 6, verse 1 to 3, when he first starts speaking, he really starts speaking self-pity. You know, I've got it bad, I've got all these boils, and it's a self-pity type thing. And then by chapter 7, verse 11, he's really angry with God at that point. Have you ever been there? Have you ever really wondered, all right, does God really love me? You know, what's going on here? What's, what's happening? I mean, let's don't be hard on this man. We're, we're in the same boots, right? In chapter 7, verse 17, he sees God as his persecutor. God's the one that's putting this all on me. That's the reason I'm having all these troubles. God doesn't love me. I must have something that's not right in me. Something's going on. Matter of fact, he says, God's wise... He knows my innocence. God's smart. He knows everything. He knows I'm innocent. And matter of fact, he is mighty in strength. And if he wants to, he could change this whole situation. <laughs> Don't tell me if you've ever been there, okay? And then we go to verse 32. Job's finally given up on God. God's not going to listen to him, so he wants a mediator, somebody to go between. We got one of those. Thank God we have him. Jesus is our mediator. You go to chapter 10, verse 18. Job's in the middle of despair. Matter of fact, in verse 20, he says, leave me alone. Just back off and leave me alone. I just want to die. I want to go to heaven and get out of here. By chapter 12, after his friends give him a little bit more advice... He starts attacking his friends with the energy like they're attacking him with. And they were pretty tough on him. But as he's doing that, you get down to chapter or, uh, 12, 13, he starts telling all of God's good attributes. <laughs> God is so good to us. He's so merciful. But in 16, after again a number of his friends talking to him, he asked God to, to go ahead and show my friends that I'm innocent. Verify my innocence to my friends. If, God, if you're allowing this suffering, you know, it's really on you because my friends are ridiculing me, and they're really ridiculing you. You ever use that strong arm on God? You know, God, you're, you're making yourself look bad here. Yeah, right. So Job's pain's wearing on him, 
And he knows his only hope is in God. And then another one I've seen us do. In Job 21, he starts comparing his life and his blamelessness to other people. You know, there's a lot of people, God, a lot worse than I am, and they ought to be in this trial, not me. God help us not to do that. It's pretty easy to slip there, isn't it, if you're not careful? And matter of fact, he even gets to the point that he starts complaining about how there's so many wicked people. And so he spends about three chapters working on that. Now, I want to go to chapter 32. This is what you've been waiting on, right? Let's go clear back there. You know who's going to speak now? We've had these three older gentlemen showing him all that he needed to know and all these friends who, you know, who come to comfort him are really comforting him. And got a young buck that's coming along. Chapter 32. So these three men cease answering Job. You know, that discord's over. And the reason they did it was because they came to the conclusion of what? He's righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu was roused against Job. And his wrath was roused because he justified himself rather than God. So we have a young guy coming on here. We've talked about the power of the Spirit, the power of, of God's Holy Spirit working through men. And, and this young guy who's been sitting back, listening evidently all along. We don't know exactly when he's coming, I don't think. And verse 4 says, Now because they were older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job. And Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men. In other words, everything they said didn't help. It, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't uplifting. It wasn't encouraging. It wasn't overcoming. So his wrath was aroused. And if you will, let me just go down through some of the things he said. Let's go down to verse 18 and 19. I think it's a very pivotal verse in all of this because if you think back to all the first 30-some chapters, what they were saying was coming from where? It's coming from up here. What they saw, what they thought. And if you're helping somebody praying for somebody, don't use this because you're not helping, okay? And, and to me, if nothing else in this study this time, that's what I saw. Be careful, Daryl, what you say. Make sure it's the word of God. Be careful what you say, what you do. React in the word of God. But in verse 18, Elihu speaking now, we saw this demonstrated a couple weeks ago. Had a young man up here who prophesied to us, standing right here as he was preaching. And Elihu says, For I am full of words. The Spirit within me compels me. Now think about that. The Spirit within him compels him. Not his mind. His Spirit is compelling him. And if we're going to be people who are moved by the Spirit of God... We're going to feel some of the same thing Elihu said. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. <laughs> Have you ever felt, Bruce shaking her head, felt the Spirit of God in you, and you think, if I don't say something, I'm going to bust. I'm in trouble. I've got to let this out. And that's where this young man is. It's ready to burst like new wineskins. And so, to me, that... You know, that's how the Spirit of God works. And I want to go over to verse 6 and 33. I just want to pick out some of these things. Truly, I am as your spokesman before God. I also have been formed out of clay. I want you to know that I'm not saying this to you. I want you to know God's saying this. I'm the same as you are. I'm made out of clay, just like you are. But God's in my belly saying, you've got to do this. You've got to speak this to him. Verse 12. Look. In this you are not righteous. Now that ought to have got his attention, right? Because he's been claiming innocence all this time. He says, I want you to know you're not righteous. 
I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend with him? For he does not give you accounting of any of his words, for God may speak in one way or in another. 34, 10. Therefore listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to, be, to do wickedness and from the Almighty to commit iniquity. Now, his friends were saying, this came upon you from God because you have messed up. Someplace you messed up. They didn't say where it was, but they just thought someplace you messed up. And he said, no, that's not what it is. In verse 35, chapter 35, verse uh, 2, do you think this is right? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? For you say what advantage is it to be, will it be to you? What profit shall I have more than, I, than if I had sinned? I will answer you and your companions with me. Look to the heavens and see, and behold the clouds that are higher than you. If you sin, what do you accomplish against him? Verse 12. There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely God will not answer to empty talk. <laughs> so he just told his three friends what? Oh, empty talk. God help us not to be empty talk. We have the word of God in us. We have God's power. We have power to increase faith in people. Think about that. God put that in your mouth. I was reading something this week, and the guy says, you realize you have a miracle in your mouth? Think about that. You have a miracle in your mouth as faith operates through you when God puts you in a situation where it's needed. Surely God will not listen to empty talk, nor will the Almighty regard it. Although you say you do not see him, yet justice is before him, and you must wait for him. And now, because he has not, has, he has not punished in his anger, nor taken much notice of folly, therefore Job opens his mouth in vain. He multiplies words without knowledge. Ooh, is that a slap in the face? Boy, I'm glad we don't do that. Let's move on. Uh, I guess 37, 14. Listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know when God dispatches him and causes the light of the cloud to shine? And he goes ahead and talks all the things that God does. And he asks him, do you, do you know you're smarter than God? You know all these things, right? Verse 23, as for the Almighty, we cannot find him. He's excellent in power and judgment and abundant mercy. He does not oppress. Therefore, men fear him. He shows no partiality to any who are wise of heart. Then the Lord answered. Verse 2, who is this who darkens counsel? My words without knowledge. Now prepare yourself like a man. Who's he speaking to? Job, not the Elihu, Job. I will question you and you answer me. And he asked him a whole bunch of questions which made Job feel about like he could sit on a dime and swing his legs. I mean, when you get done, God does it. And if you got self-righteousness, be prepared. Be prepared. And so... Let's go to chapter 43, verse 3. Job answers the Lord. Finally, Job's going to speak to the Lord now, right? Behold, <laughs> I'm vile. Yeah. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. I'm not going to say another word. Everything I say is wrong, and I know it. Because you have shown me who you are. Verse 7. Now prepare yourself. God speaking to Job. Now prepare yourself like a man. I'll question you and you shall answer me. Would you indeed in all my judgment. Would you condemn me that you may be justified. Would you condemn me 
that you would be justified? Boy, I've heard that one a time or two. You know, we're, God isn't doing this like he ought to, like I know better than him. In verse in 41, verse 1, he talks about him seeing Satan and seeing and drawing Satan in and how, and, and so if, if you read down through that, God is taking Job's thinking of God being the persecutor and he's saying, Satan did this to you. He didn't say I didn't allow him, but he said Satan did this to you. And, and we really don't have time to operate on that, but you can. And we, if you want to talk about it later, we can. And then Job's repentance. And I particularly want to pick out 42 now, that's where I am. Verse 5, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. And I think at times, if we're not careful... It is the hearing of the ear. It, it is, we, we, we know of God because of what someone else says or what we see happening someplace else. And God wants it where? He wants it in here. He wants us each to have our own. Now, I, I remind you, this is a man who is blameless, right? We're talking about a man who from the beginning was blameless. And yet, he wasn't where God wanted him to be. And as I, and I thought about those words, that you know, in, in that trial, that commentator said that God is, is wanting him to see his faithfulness and wanting him to see Job to see his righteousness and where it comes from. And I think this is proof that that's true. Verse 6, Therefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. And as, as you know, um, well, let's, let's just read on. Verse 8, uh, let me, 7. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to these three friends of his, You've not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now think of all the things that they said and think of all the things that Job said which we know were from the wrong perspective in some situations and yet he says you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls, seven rams go to my servant Job and offer up for yourself a burnt offering and my servant Job shall pray for you. And then look at those next words. For I will accept him. I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what's right, as my servant Job has. Whew. Think where we are. We need to be careful what we say, don't we? There's sometimes we need to shut up. Don't say nothing. They were okay for seven days because they hadn't said anything. And then they just let it go. Well, what's, what, lessons is, what lesson is God teaching us in all of this? For sure, God fully reconciles Job. As a matter of fact, as you read the rest of that, you know he gave him back all he had before, right? He gave, him, gave it all back to him. And I think I said that wrong. He doubled it, didn't he? Right. He doubled it. And God fully reconciled him, and he has shown that he serves God with a pure heart. And, and as I was writing down my thoughts, I thought, oh, Satan was wrong. Let's go back. Just keep your finger there. Let's go back to Job 1, 4 and 5. Four, let's see, 6. Um, bum, 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 bum. I'm, I'm giving you the wrong one. I think it's uh, 2. I'm sorry, Job 2. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that man has he will give for his life. 
but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. Now, this scoundrel, God said, I don't want you to kill him, right? Boils from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. Think about it. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hands. So Satan was pretty sure that God, that, that if, if he did, if he allowed him to touch his physical, that Job would give up. That Job, Job would be unrighteous. And he was wrong, wasn't he? Because he did come through that. Now, as, as I was um, thinking about that, this is the life lesson I have. In times of trial, we, we face a temptation of making God our adversary instead of our advocate. Is that fair? If we're not careful, when, it ta- when things get tough, we'll do what? <laughs> we may not come right out and say it, but we blame God, right? We, 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 instead of moving close to God... We do what? We back off. You ever done that? Don't answer. So, I want to take you one more place. I I promise I'll quit. And I I haven't given you everything I wanted to. (laughs) Micah 7. Seven, seven. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. When we're in the midst of a trial, we need to do what? Look to the Lord. And I'll wait for God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And then he says in verse 8, Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be the light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes judgment for me. He will bring me forth in the light and I will see his righteousness. Then, I'm not sure, gals, why this is, but anyway. Then she who is my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets. Basically saying, we're going to be, we may become that spectacle, right? In the midst of the trial, you and I become the spectacle that others will see, and others will see how we handle that. And I trust we'll, we'll use the Word of God. Closing thought. When Jesus had his temptations and his trials, how did he handle it? With the word of God. Plain and simple. Every time it's Satan, even Satan used the word of God, didn't he? Be wise. Because he's a, he's, a, he's a scoundrel. He's a scoundrel. Let's stand.